What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam. The Hawks are in the battle of their lives, Kalal, and we are Atlanta's own. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports, wacky-ass hijinks, and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Graham, all is well on uh, my end of things here. and I mean, just in the middle of a deep playoff run for an Atlanta sports team, so... You know, adjusting the old weekday schedule to, you know, work around games and whatnot. Uh, it's kind of a weird, fun experience for me, anyways. Um, how are things going on your end, Graham? Well, it's been, um, we got sick on Tuesday with something. Uh, a little congested, sore throat, not feeling the best. Hopefully I don't have the, uh, the virus, as our friend uh, Borat likes to say. Um, but I feel okay. I don't have a fever, so I think I think I'm okay. Whatever it is, but you um, think it has could have anything to do with two straight days of uh, singing into microphone nonstop for like ten hours. Well, I was thinking about that. Yeah, like we did the music this weekend, and we also had the uh, you know, last month has been just a bender between bachelor parties, um, our anti bachelorette party when my wife was on her bachelorette party, and then uh, people coming in town drinking every day for the wedding and then the wedding itself and that whole weekend. And then last weekend, yes, the music and copious amounts of drinking happened. Then I stayed up till 7 a.m. on Saturday night to Sunday morning. Um, yeah, it was, I was thinking about that too. It was like maybe my body just broke down and needed uh, to just put my ass on the couch without uh, a liquor drink in my hand. Yeah, the, the body's telling you to take it easy, Graham. Yeah, I mean, I was already planning to go sober this week and probably next week as well because I know we have we have uh, the Atlanta Zone sponsored beach trip um, in a couple of weeks. That's going to be a big one. We got we got a lot of uh, team bonding to do there. It's kind of our our mid season reset. Probably not. We're probably just going to get get drunk and do stupid things. But um, the craziest thing happened to me today. So as you know, Adam, when you get married, you, you wear a, a ring for the rest of your life, apparently. I was trying to make lunch for myself, and my wedding band just snapped on my hand, or my finger. Uh-huh. It was very odd. It was like the bottom portion of it, not like the the part that you see. It was like the bottom portion just like fell off the ring portion, or the band portion, or whatever. Like the outer part of it fell off the band part, and it just got into my... Uh, ring finger I was pinching the skin I couldn't get it off so I had Alexa take off the ring and then we couldn't get the the part that was sticking me off and she just like ripped it off and it took off a good uh good chunk of skin blood and uh whatnot was was flowing it was disgusting I was screaming and, and going out Mario not feeling good so that was uh not fun and also also reeling from the the Hawks lost uh this morning so I wasn't in a good mood very odd uh incident it, there was nothing to provoke it it was like um someone was sending me a message i don't know yeah that that that's very strange so a couple questions follow-up questions from the audience there so are you saying that the ring it's like physically broken now not no it's just like the under part of it the part you can't really see part of it the broke the off under part was there like some like some wrapping paper that you didn't take off or something? <laughs> no, it's like, so my ring's like got, I don't know, it's got like some titanium bullshit on it on the outside, and then under it there's some black shit. I don't know what that <laughs> material is made out of. That part of it decided to pinch the shit out of my ring finger. 
it was like a snapping noise. And I thought some large animal or something was just biting down on my hand. And I just start screaming bloody murder like I'm a uh, that woman in Psycho in the shower about to get murdered. And then I look down like, what the, you know, what the heck happened to my to my ring? And it wasn't a cheap ring either. This wasn't like something you go to Walmart to get. You know, this is, uh, I don't know how much it was, but I think it was like four or $500. So it shouldn't be breaking after a week and like 10 days of use for Christ's sake. Yeah, that's a lot of money for a uh, a male wedding ring. Indeed. For sure. I, I thought you maybe bought it on eBay, something along those lines. Oh, no. We went to Worth More and got all fancy because it was like you only get married twice or something, right? So uh, <laughs> might as well blow it out for the first one. Then after the divorce, you get married again. You just That's when you get cheese. Right. Yeah, the second, the second ring. Right. Have you ever considered being a jewelry salesman? I thought you did a phenomenal job explaining all the, the workings of a ring. Yeah, I, I really know that. That's that's my forte. The black shit under the titanium shit um, was pinching Honestly, me. I think we could be on to another great Atlanta's own business idea, a jewelry store for the common man that is uncomfortable going to a jewelry store. And it's just like you and I, like, I guess we would buy, like, some decent shit, but, like, not really know what it is and or how to explain what it is, but we would try our damnedest to these poor saps that are just getting married and don't know what the hell they're doing. And we would put them at ease. And we would confound and confuse the hell out of them. I don't know if we put them at ease, but we'd try. And you'd be like, you don't want to buy this one, Bo. You'll be making a a damn sandwich, uh, you know, after a playoff loss. And the next thing you know, this undershit material is just going to snap and... The, the the titanium, I guess that's what that is. I don't know. It could be tungsten, I suppose. Who gives a shit? But that that's going to separate from those two parts and almost cut your damn finger off. I look forward to seeing your bride and getting her side of this story as well because there's there seems to be some missing she can, pieces. She here. can actually tell you about it. She's seeing it right here. You want to be on the podcast for a second? Sure. We're having a little uh, aside before the, the big show here about talking through the... Uh, the the ring item. the ring exploding everywhere. Yeah. So Alexa, my my only question is 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 Graham's story accurate that he's kind of just standing there making lunch and completely unprovoked, he claims the inner part of the ring, whatever the hell that means, it just snaps and uh, pinches his finger really bad. Is that exactly how it went down, or did had he been like messing with it for a while? Uh, being uncomfortable wearing a ring. I feel like there's something else out there that the users need to know. I'm not sure because I was in the other room, but I just heard him like yelling very loudly and cursing (laughs) and he didn't know what was happening and was very confused. So I came in and saw that the, it's not the inner part of the ring as in the part that is sitting on your finger, but it's actually like the outer edge of the ring. There's a little bit, like a little metal part of that that just came off somehow. And it was like a very thin piece of metal, very, very tiny crack that was pinching part of his finger. And I essentially opened it as wide as I could and took it off his finger, which I knew was going to cause some kind of injury, but I didn't want it to sit there pinching his finger. And I didn't know where any of my tools were. So I'm like, well, I don't know if I have time to go run and get like my wire cutters. And I didn't know if that would hurt him even more or whatever. So I was like, I'm just going to, pull it open and pull it off him. And then he screams some more. And <laughs> to be fair, it's a pretty gnarly cut. So no, I, I, I'm sure it is, but your, your description was a lot more clear and concise than Graham's. So 
I feel like I have a lot more answers than I did after his story. So I appreciate it. Graham's happy. Yeah. He doesn't have to wear a ring anymore. <laughs> Thanks for uh, your insight there. So, Adam, let's talk about these Hawks first. They're on the uh, the top of my mind, because I'm sure they're on the majority of everyone's mind who's uh, an Atlanta sports fan. We're in a big-time battle here. I did not give us a chance in hell of, of taking Philly out with Joel Embiid being able to perform through the ability he has performed through these two games so far. Somehow, though, Adam, we took game one, 128-124, without DeAndre Hunter. And with Philly at full strength and Embiid looking like a torn meniscus was nothing to him. Uh, just absolutely slaughtered us. I think I had 39 points, 9 boards. We lost the game on Tuesday, 118-102. That was a really tough game. Once again, without DeAndre Hunter, Philly looked like they knew what they were doing in the first half, whereas the first half of the first game they did not, which really uh, allowed us to build a big lead, I think a 27-point lead. But one thing I will say about this team I'm very proud of is their resilience. They made the best defense in the league look like chump change in that first game. And they went down by 18 points on the road in a hostile environment in the uh, the second game. A, an environment where the, the Sixers, I think, have only lost nine games all season. Came back, took the lead briefly, and then sort of floundered it away in the in the fourth quarter. But I think with these – you know, as, as, we, as we said, um, you know, in the Knicks series and in this series, you want to try and get home court advantage if you're the road team. you got to split. Your goal is to split those first two games in a best-of-seven series, and that's exactly what the Hawks did, even though it was terrifying in that first game at the end, and even though game two didn't go how he wanted it to. This team is certainly in the series, and they're not going to roll over just because Philly won that second game. Yeah, it was really the the old Sunday morning before that game, just a double kick to the jaw where I open up the Twitter and see Brad Rowland saying uh, DeAndre Hunter is out, which was not on any of our radars going into this series. We were just last week talking about how it seemed like he was getting his stride, getting his flow back, must be fully healthy now. Clearly not. So you get that, and then Joel Embiid being in. So when I saw that Sunday morning, I was like, well, we we don't have a, a chance in hell. And that's probably what the Sixers were thinking as well in that first game. And, uh, you know, we just came out and they – I don't know if they didn't scout Trey Young or what, what, what they were doing with their defense and putting Danny Green on him for the entire first half um, until they finally made some adjustments in the second half. But Trey Young was just getting whatever he wanted, kicking it out to wide-open shooters, and we just were not missing it. Bogdanovich set the tone for that game where raucous Philly crowd and just instantly comes out, drains a three as that game gets started. And uh, we even had damn... Solomon Hill hitting some threes early in the first. And, um, you know, we knew it wasn't going to be easy. We knew that Philly was going to battle back. But this team, as we've seen all year, just continued to battle and fight back in that first game. And I'll be honest, the end of that game, I could barely watch. I know you were watching it later, which is always (laughs) very frustrating for me as – Obviously, you were one of my key Atlanta sports uh, comrades that it would be nice to text, but you're just off in la-la land over there, not knowing what's going on while your team's in the, the biggest battle of its life. And then, like... No, literally, I was sleeping. I slept till, like, 2 o'clock, and I started watching the game at about 2.30. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> so, I, I felt like I, I was in that game on my own, Um and I, I was having to like go back and forth between the Hawks and the Braves because there's just too much pressure. Like it felt like 
a classic Atlanta sports choke was just like set up. And I just knew if we blew that game one, it was going to be 0-2 before we knew it. Against the number one seed on the road, if you have a chance to close them like we did in that game one, you got to take advantage of it. And, and thank God we did. And I didn't have a ton of hope going into that game two. Like, and they kind of punched us in the jaw at the, at the beginning. And it was great to see us battle back in that game multiple times to even take the lead in the third. But like you were saying, it's got such a similar feel to the series against the Knicks where we kind of snuck up on them in game one and then didn't play our guest, our best game in game two. The shots just weren't falling. What are you going to do? Like the DeAndre Hunter thing hurts a lot, and I really hope he can play Friday. And I'm, I'm thinking that was kind of their thought as well, at least I'm hoping it, was that if you just give him this last game, to rest up, he'll get a couple more days off, be ready to go Friday in Atlanta. I'm hoping that's the thought, but but we'll see. But, you know, who can expect, what was that, uh, the guy that went off for us, uh, Shake Milton, who played one minute in game one, he goes off for 15 points, and I mean that, that was the difference in game two. So, it's what, what are you going to do about that? Yeah, we were thunderstruck by this Shake Milton guy. Never heard of this dude. Um, he was... Just he just couldn't miss, and and we and that's all we did in the fourth quarter. It seemed like we were just we were just missing like crazy, and we just couldn't do anything offensively. We just looked we looked um, lackadaisical, burned out, exhausted. Making that comeback, I think, took a lot out of us. And then it was Philly just ran away with it. But I want to talk about this game one a little bit. Um, the efficiency of the Hawks shooting in this game was was crazy. Um, they shot fifty one percent from the field overall, forty two percent from three. And hit 23-pointers. Now, a lot of people came out and said, well, you can't do this every time. And yes, that's true. But it's not like this Hawks team. It's not like this is something that's unexpected in terms of this Hawks team being able to go out and put up 23s. They did it, I think, three or four times during the season. I think there's another 15 to 16 times they, they hit at least 15 threes in a game this year. So this is not, you know, to see the team do what they did from three-point land was not shocking to me but it was one of those things where it was like you kind of needed an um an otherworldly performance like they had from shooting the three to win that game because Embiid was unstoppable I mean Embiid has killed us in both these games 79 points through two games you know Seth Curry has been big I think he's got 21 points in the first game and and I think 23 in the second but you needed our because our defense has not been good in the series against anybody especially in the paint Sixers attacked the paint like crazy in that in that first half yesterday. But in that first game, it was just like the Hawks just could do no wrong. Trade 35 points, 10 dishes. And even though we tried to blow that game and we just could not react at all, not react well at all to that damn press that they were putting on us, somehow we got out of it. Two big things that stick out to me in that uh, the ending there was when Herter was trapped under our basket and he throws a bounce pass like 60 feet down the court that somehow finds John Collins. That saved the game. And then the audacity for Trey Young, which was terrifying, to throw that lob to John Collins for that dunk over Embiid was insane. That was the greatest alley-oop in Atlanta Hawks history. That was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. It was terrifying. It was probably a stupid play, but goddamn, that was beautiful. Yeah, I mean, both of those were amazing. That that herder pass, because like, it felt like it was a, a damn high school game there for a second where you just couldn't get the ball up the court at all. 
And no. um, yeah, three quarters court pass. That that was unreal. But yeah, man, like that game one, that that was a heart attack inducer, man. Oh yeah, um, I was just trying not to freak out the whole time. I was just sitting there, like, we can't. This can't happen to us again. It just can't. I knew it's possible that it could, and almost did. But we were we were great from the free throw line. We only missed one free throw in that game. Bogdanovich came up with a huge three at the end of the game and made the final two free throws. Um, even though he turned the ball over at a critical moment, but you know we didn't have they didn't really trap us in the same way as they did um, in game two as they did in game one. But we still are turning the ball over too much um, overall. I think we had seventeen turnovers in that first game and nineteen last night. Either way, we had or fifteen in the first game and seventeen last night. Philly's doing their job defensively, even though they've given up a lot of three pointers in this series. But they are making the adjustments necessary to shut us down through certain spurts. I mean, think about it. They came back from a 27-point deficit. And then they just sort of you know, wiped our carcasses off, off the floor by the, uh, by the fourth quarter um, on Tuesday night. So their defense is as good as advertised. And Doc Rivers has made a lot of adjustments. And, you know, Danny Green is not guarding Trey Young that much anymore. Trey was kind of... You know, it's kind of funny to say Trey was shut down when he still scored 21 points last night, but, you know, we didn't get the 30-point performance. You know, we didn't get the double-double from him that we're used to getting. Um, yeah, no, his 21 points is misleading. He, It was a big-time off game for Trey. Yeah, they, they shut him down. They shut him down. But, you know, Trey has been so good in the postseason that, you know, I mean, we should expect him to play up to a very high level every game, but we also have to take into consideration that he's still, this is his first postseason experience. Doc Rivers is a veteran coach. Philly's a veteran team, and they're going to make the necessary adjustments. Now it's on Trey and, and Coach McMillan to figure out, okay, how can we not let that happen again, what happened in game two, where Trey was uh, virtually neutralized all night. But Trey yeah. Young does become the first player since Lulau Sender, who then became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, to average... 30 points and 10 assists, I think, in his first four road playoff games, which is just insane. I mean, Trey Young's been making history this, this, this entire playoffs with his output. He, he has been phenomenal. And he's got to be, he's got to get back to that phenomenal level if we have a chance in hell of taking the series from Philly. Yeah, I mean, no, no one could complain about Trey Young. Um, Bogey didn't really show up last night as well, two of six from three. Trey was one of seven from three. Um, we're only in that game because of. Mainly Kevin Herter, who has stepped his game up to the next level. And oh, then, man. Uh, yeah. Gallo. Gallo played two really good games as well. So it's it's really promising to see um, Gallinari. Like, he, I don't think I've ever seen that man dunk. And he had, <laughs> yeah. in, in game one and, and two, just like uh, driving from the top of the key through traffic and throwing it down on them. So, And he actually, to be honest... He played better defense on Embiid than Clint Capella has been able to so far this series. He was getting physical with him to the point where he forced that technical on Embiid where he, he was in his head. So I look forward to seeing... Oh, let's talk about that bullshit for a second. Sure. That, yeah, I agree with you. Gallinari has stepped up defensively. I mean, he's still not... I think it's impossible to shut down Embiid. But yeah, I would agree. I, I don't think it's a hot take at all to say that Capella has been outplayed defensively by Gallinari so far against Embiid, which I never thought I'd say. Well, I mean, Capella, but yeah, I he, thought that was total he, he, bullshit yesterday where it was a offsetting technical fouls on Gallinari and Embiid. It was like, 
Gallinari's just getting up. He's being helped up by John Collins. And he accidentally, like, bumps into Embiid. And Embiid pushes Gallinari. And it was just total... And they, they both get called for tennis. Fucking Embiid could have been ejected for that. I don't think Gallinari was innocent in that scenario. Like, he was just getting up, but he leaned a little bit to the left. But then, yeah, obviously Embiid went out of his way to push him to back. Um, yeah. So I understand the double technical, but... yeah, I didn't really see him move. I'll take your word for it. But I... I was very upset by that. I, mean, I think if you compare the uh, the two moments of contact, and beat is definitely more of an asshole. Right, but I, it's because Gallinari. Like, if you look at it again, he initiated it. Was it was like a slight shove, but obviously, Embiid's was more obvious hmm. than Gallinari. Um, but yeah, man, this Embiid guy. You know, I I don't watch a lot of national uh, sports. Generally, just a strictly Atlanta professional sports guy myself, Graham. So I don't see really. Don't say. I don't see a lot of these guys play consistently unless they're playing against the Hawks. And yeah, he's an issue. Um, Alleged torn meniscus aside, yeah, I don't. I don't know what we do to stop this man. I hope that McMillan has something up his sleeve to make some adjustments. Um, We gotta get. We gotta get Hunter in there. To, to spice things up a little bit because Hunter can guard anybody. Hunt, and not to say he's going to shut down Embiid, but he can make his life a little more difficult because right now Embiid gets the ball, he's scoring. Um, whether it's his, his fadeaway jumper, whether it's him taking it into the paint, whether it's him making a three. I mean, he can do it all out there. There was one play where he yesterday where he cut so aggressively to short of shoot this kind of sideways fadeaway around John and Capella, and it was just so fucking effortless. I mean, this this dude is a complete package. You you see, just watching those two games, why why he's so valuable to Philly. I mean, he is everything to that team. Yeah, because Ben Simmons kind of, he comes and goes a little bit, and then, of course, he can't shoot a three or make free throws to save his life, so that's not exactly ideal from a point guard. Um, although Simmons is, I mean, he did a great job on Trey yesterday. Like, that, that was the big adjustments. Simmons on Trey and um Trey could not get a shot off on Simmons so yeah and that's something I like us to try and do a little more is try to get him beat into foul trouble attack him a little bit I know he's a very intimidating defender but I wouldn't mind drawing up a couple plays for Quint Capella outside of the pick and roll and seeing you know if he can induce contact because we got to get this dude out of the game because Philly's bench it's not as uh, does not have the depth that we do. I believe I believe we have the superior bench, even though I know Shake Milton, you know, won that fucking game for them yesterday. But you know, I, I view that as an anomaly performance. That's not the type of player he is. I don't think. I mean, you remember how in game one we slaughtered their second unit, like it wasn't even a contest, I and mean, that's why we went up by twenty seven. And so if we can just get him beat off the floor a little more than he's getting off. I mean, he played thirty nine minutes in the in the in the first game. And it was close to that in the second game. So it's like, got to get this guy off the floor. we got to attack him more when we have the ball, I think. Yeah, for sure. And, and with the in, in regards to Simmons <clears throat> and the fouls, like generally that's the concern from the Sixers' standpoint with putting Simmons on Trey is that Trey is so adept at drawing those fouls. Um, and that's why they wouldn't want Simmons to guard him all game. But, you know, he only had two fouls last night. Uh, guarding Trey, 
and Trey, Trey just didn't have his best game. Brass tacks. So, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, like we said with the Knicks, our goal was to get one in Philly, just like in New York. We got that done. The one adjustment I'd like to see, assuming DeAndre Hunter isn't starting or playing Friday, let's get Tony Snell back in with the starters. Like, that, Tony Snell was a starter for probably over a third of the season when we had all the injuries, and he's just such a better shooter than Solomon Hill. Solomon Hill's probably a little better defensively than Tony Snell, but not enough to warrant not having the sharpshooting of Tony Snell from the corner. So I think that could make a bit of a difference in what that slow start was last night. So I'd like to at least see him have a bigger role. But, yeah, if we if we don't have DeAndre, it's it's going to be tough, but I still think we can make the adjustments and take care of business at home. Like 23-2 and two in the last 25 home games. So Yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, we just have to win every game at home as, as maybe as a simplistic view as that is, that's what we've gained by, by splitting the series so far. But I would agree with you that I think if Deandre cannot go an adjustment needs to be made to the starting rotation, I would advocate as opposed to Snell for Kevin Herter guy has been so clutch on both sides of the court. And, um, he's definitely, the best player who's not in the starting lineup right now. So I, I would advocate for him to be inserted into the, uh, the, the starting lineup. And he played 36 minutes last night, as opposed to our starter Hill, who only played nine. So, I mean, Solomon Hill ain't giving you shit. But I agree, Snell needs to play more. I just don't, I would just prefer to have Herter start over Snell, because I think he's but a more complete player. McMillan was asked about Herter going in the starting lineup, and he, he just says he loves him playing with that bench unit, because you, you don't want to take away from the bench unit, because. If you look at our plus minuses for the last two games, like, I mean, freaking Capella minus 25 last night. Like, Trey Young was uh, a minus in the game one that we won. And, like, all of, like, where we're winning is those two benches against each other. So you don't necessarily want to pull away Herter from the bench unit where he makes a bigger um, impact and th- and lump him in with John Collins and Trey and bogey where he's not going to get as many looks as he might coming off the bench. But he's still, I mean, I, I can understand that, but he still played 36 minutes yesterday. For reference, Collins played 35, Trey played 38, bogey played 42. So he was he had the fourth most minutes last night. Oh, yeah, he's playing starters minutes, but it's also who, who's he out there with. Yeah. You know, if he's out there all the time now when Trey's not on the court. Yeah. No, I mean, I can understand that. Yeah. I just really hope Hunter can go. I think Hunter's the key. If oh we get God. Hunter back, we have so much better of a chance of winning. Because you got to think about it from Philly's standpoint now. They they feel like they figured us out. But if we can throw Hunter at them, that can that can really screw up their shit, as particularly their offensive attack. Because Hunter can help with Tobias Harris. He can help with Embiid. He can help with Simmons. He can help with Curry. You know, he can he can defend all over the court and provide the needed support that this unit needs. Because outside of Hunter. I can't think of like an above average defender that we have right now, except for your boy, uh, Chris Dunn, who will never play again for the rest of his career. Yeah. I mean, no one else is above average for sure. And he, yeah, he's a game changer. So let's just hope we get, got to get him back. But if not, we, we showed we can win one game without him. 
and we won a lot of games without him all year. So it's just good to see that this team, like, they keep battling. They battled back from down big twice last night. And how we've seen them in the regular season down 14 with three minutes to go, come back and win. So they've got that magic in them. And I hope Philly feels confident after that win because we're going to have a different look for them on Friday at State Farm. It's going to be rocking, Graham. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely rocking. Yeah, it'll be a great environment. And um, Friday can't come soon enough. One thing before we jump off the Hawks as we look a little bit towards the future. Do you think we've done enough in the playoffs to warrant a superstar to consider playing with us? Like superstars want a group with superstars. We've had this conversation before. So, I mean, I think Trey Young is showing that he is a superstar. So maybe someone else would want to come play with them. But the problem is we got a lot of other names we need to sign now. So like if John Collins is getting his max, which I still don't think is warranted based off last night's game as well. Uh, but we're going to have to pay it to him if we want him. Like, the the money is going to be tough to spread around to be able to have, what, three max contracts? Trey, this alleged superstar you're squawking about, and John Collins. And then we got to give Herder some money for sure. Yeah. Um, and we already have Bogey and Gallinari locked up. I think I if it comes down to it, let Collins walk and, and throw – throw the kitchen sink at Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard can become a free agent this year if he chooses to. Um, I don't think he wants to leave the West Coast, but I would certainly try. Just try to get that dude. Because imagine him with Trey and De- a healthy DeAndre Hunter. My goodness. Yeah, that'd be dirty. Yeah. So he's but the top he- free agent. Or potential free agent. So I mean, I'm I'm throwing everything I got at at Kawhi Leonard. There's no one else that's really on his level that's a free agent this year. Yeah, um, it's so. certainly possible, especially if if we make it a huge series against Philly or knock on wood win it, then for sure we're we're a young up and coming team. He went to Toronto, won them a champ, won them a championship. He's kind of showing that he doesn't necessarily need to you know just team up with wherever LeBron is or something like that. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the more we win, the better it is for the Hawks in the off season as well. That's for sure. Yeah. And the best part is we're playing with, with house money. I know we want to win this series against Philly, but it's also like, I think we've done, we've shown that we're, we're here to stay and we're a team on the rise and we're ready to really compete. If we just get one more superstar, we got a chance to do that. So I, I, I think the Hawks have done a hell of a job of presenting themselves to potential folks to come here who are superstars like a Kawhi Leonard, and say, hey, we're here too. So, and Trey Young has arrived. Trey Young is officially a superstar now. I don't think anyone would deny that. No, yeah, he, he's in a lot of uh, teams' heads right now. Yeah, for Lo- sure. Love me some Trey. All right, Adam. Let's talk about your boy, Julio Jones, traded to the Tennessee Titans. Um, pretty big Pretty big day. That happened the same day as the Hawks game, right? The first Hawks playoff game, I believe. Yeah, that that was uh oh that yeah that was the other thing by Sunday morning Twitter. It was like Julio Jones has been traded, uh, DeAndre Hunter out, Embiid in. I was like, oh, this is a kind of shitty way to start the day. But yep, so yeah, the, the old Sunday morning uh, big news drop. 
Thank God it's over, though. You know. Yeah, I was ready for it to be done. I'm, I'm sick of um, having to deal with Julio and this drama. And, um, and you know what? Another thing I'm sick of is all these people on Falcons Twitter talking all this shit about how we're screwed without Julio. And it's like, have you watched the last three seasons? And I know we've disagreed on this in the past, but we have a lot. We have a lot more things that we got to worry about than a than than an aging superstar receiver. And this now allows us to, you know, sign our draft class and potentially use some money to bring in a couple other veterans to fulfill other holes. So the big news also is that the Titans took all of that money, all of the fifteen million dollars this year, which I didn't think was going to happen. And we get a second and a fourth round pick out of it. Second round for next year, I think fourth round pick for the year after that. Um, so I consider this a win for the, the Falcons. So it doesn't solve all our problems. And I was still pretty much on team blow it up, like also get rid of Matt Ryan, which isn't going to happen. Um, but I think at least, like I said, we can sign our draft class and we can we can fill some more holes with the additional money that's left. We're no longer like gasping for air like I am right now because I'm about to cough for the last two minutes. Yeah, it's certainly a step in the right direction. Sucks that it came down to this, but that's that's the way of the road. Um, I have nothing but love for Julio. As we talked about last week, things kind of soured when all the contract talks started a few years ago where he still had years left on his contract. But that That's in the past. He was an unbelievable player for us. I... You know, he, he's not a guy that you can hate. Like, there's nothing to hate about Julio. It was just his time to move on. And I think overall, we did a pretty good job. Like, we weren't going to get better than a second and taking on his entire contract and throwing that fourth round pick. I'm, I'm, I'm content with it. Um, we already have his successor drafted in Calvin Ridley and then Kyle Pitts as well coming in this year. So we will be able to move on as you have made it abundantly clear in the past, Graham. Receiver is not our biggest issue. We got a lot of other holes to fill. But the biggest thing I take out of this, Arthur Smith and his quotes might be Belichick 2.0. So I don't know if you saw this one, Graham, but when he was asked about whether or not he feels like the offense can be successful without Julio Jones, Falcons coach Arthur Smith says, and I quote, I don't worry about players I've never coached. Yeah, I saw that. I thought that was hilarious. I loved End it. End quote. Yeah, that was a big that was a big F you to whoever asked that and uh in a in a way to Julio. I don't know. Like Julio, uh you know, I have a lot of love for him too. Like he still pissed me off that he uh wanted to redo a contract when he had three years left on it. Um like I get that all these people who are inferior to you are getting these huge uh extensions and everything and huge contracts, but it's like I don't know. It's hard for me to knock someone to want to get what they're worth, especially when you're in such a, you know, the NFL shelf life is not very long. But it's not like Julio's starving for money or anything. And he's get, still getting paid a hell of a salary and a competitive salary, I think, for his position. So it's like, I don't know. I'm over it. I think we got the best out of Julio. The Titans are not going to get, uh, you know, they may get one or two more good years, but that's it. And it'll be a salary cap albatross for them. Um, in the near future. So they're, they're pushing their chips in the middle of the table, trying to go all in. And, um, you know, we're in a much different different uh, space, much different situation. But, um, yeah, I love I love the quote from Arthur Smith. 
I love the attitude of Arthur Smith so far in terms of what he's trying to establish here. He also wasn't going to baby Julio Jones the way Dan Quinn did and say, oh, you know, it's okay not to practice and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, especially when you're, when you're having a new scheme coming in, right? You need everybody giving 120% to understand that scheme, grasp, because there's not a lot of time between when Arthur Smith comes in and when training camp starts and when the, and when the regular season starts. Hell, we're in minicamp right now and OTAs and all that shit. So you got to have everybody present. Everybody's ready to work. And you know Julio is just going to be sitting on the sidelines or not even there the whole time because of his of his hamstring and his feet. So I'm, I am I love the new attitude of, of Arthur Smith saying, no one's job is safe. Get your butts in here. Let's learn this system, and let's do the best we can. Yeah, yeah. Me too, for sure. And it, to move on from Julio is Arthur Smith clearly has. I, I've... It's mini camp going on right now. I've, I've liked some of the things I've seen of that. One of our uh, new offensive linemen, mm-hmm. I think Mayfield, possibly, um, had a penalty offsides and uh, just instantly went for a lap around the field. So I think that, that that's just the culture of Arthur Smith. Accountability, he said it. Right, exactly. It's not like Arthur Smith had to tell him to do. It's like, hey, that's that's what you got to do, Bo. You you commit a penalty and run a lap. So it it seems like a a complete three sixty or one eighty, I suppose, whatever, however that phrase goes, um, from Arthur Smith, well, to Arthur Smith. So uh, we'll close the saga on Julio. Certainly, we will be keeping our eyes on Tennessee, seeing how we're doing. The other the other great thing that we didn't even mention, he's in the AFC, Graham. The only place we would possibly see Julio this year is in the Super Bowl. That's fine. He's he's not going to be going off on us two times a year. So that that that's another win for that trade. But uh, yeah, we weren't able to get a first round pick. That was apparently what what the Falcons wanted, obviously. But uh, no one offered a first round pick, according to various reports. I think maybe one team offered like a late first round pick, but it wasn't enough, and they weren't they weren't going to take in all the salary. So this is probably the best move that we could possibly make in terms of salary relief and compensation for Julio. So good for Fontenot. Go. And uh, about this, yeah, uh, let's Braves team, Graham. Are the Braves back, Adam? Well, finally at five hundred again. So now uh, it's on cue that we should lose about four or five games in a row, right? Yeah, we we have not. I think we've made it to five hundred three times now and then go on a three game losing streak. So by the time this podcast out, people will know whether or not we made it above 500, but hell of a a statement series win against the Dodgers this weekend, Graham Um, really couldn't have played out better. We, We had, we won two out of three against them. Just had the one bad inning really on a Friday night, but to come back, Saturday and Sunday, we won 6-4 Saturday, 4-2 Sunday. And you see there is talent in that bullpen. <laughs> like, it, it, it was awesome to see what these guys did. And it's like playing the best in the league, you know, you, you step up. And that that's what we did. Yeah. Um, particularly beating Kershaw and Bauer back-to-back days. Ozzy Albies has been huge. Bullpens definitely looked better, like you were saying, and um, really been able to pick up the slack without Ozuna. And not to say that you know he was like we said last week he wasn't exactly providing a ton of of, of offense, but 
Got to be pleased by the uh, you know the effort from Austin Riley continues to sizzle, continues to establish himself as as a legitimate major leaguer on both sides of the uh, offensively and defensively. Not just and, a major uh, leaguer. Cunha continues to Graham. Not just a major leaguer. I mean, he's a possible All Star at this point. He is a possible All Star at this point. I mean, I think you should be. He he has earned it uh, the way he's been playing. Um, like I said, Ozzy's getting hot. I know Freddie still hasn't. You know, come out of his his slump. But some interesting things about Freddie Freeman, Adam. Hard contact hit rate of fifty percent, and a batting average balls in play of uh, two twenty six. Uh, the fifty percent contact rate is the second best in his entire career, and the two twenty six batting average of balls in play is about sixty points below what his normal batting average of balls in play is. So I feel like a change will come. This is like a weird anomaly thing. There was even another instance last night against the Phillies where Freddie ripped a ball down the first baseline, but it was unfortunately right at Hoskins. And I was like, well, what the hell can you do about that? He crushed it. Um, so I hope Freddie's going to come around because for us to actually compete for anything worthwhile, he's going to have to start finding some gaps. But at least he is still hitting the ball hard, um, which I know might not blow anyone away because his average is still in like the 220s, 230s. But... I think those two stats are, are, are key. I'm looking at how Freddie's been a little unlucky this year so far. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I don't, I don't doubt Freddie at all. And it's great that we've managed to now only be two and a half games back of first with losing Ozuna and with Freddie doing what he's doing. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll listen to your saber metrics, Graham. I'll believe him. Okay. I've got, I've got no more great shit about Riley. Eight home runs in his last 17 games. I mean, um, I just can't believe the adjustments he's made, particularly on off-speed pitches, his ability to work the count more, not flailing at, at um, pitches in the dirt. Um, just looks a completely different player out there. He looks better now to me now than he did in the, with that run in June in 2019, whenever that was. It's just been more consistent. It's been more of a prolonged period of time. This is going on for like a damn near month and a half at this point. Well, yeah, cause, I mean, I, I think that's pretty standard when someone comes into the league, there's no scattering report on him. They're just throwing him fastballs. He's going to be able to hit them, and then the league adjusts, and he has to adjust as well. That's why I get very frustrated when people jump all over young players who not everyone's going to be Ronald Acuna, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, hitters get to make their adjustments as well, and he has done that. It's still his what, now his third year in the league, and that was a shortened 2020 season. So, yeah, he's not a bust. I think we can we can say that much, at least. And um, him stepping up like he has into a possible all-star has made it possible for us to kind of keep this offense rolling despite all the changes from last year. And, you know, I'm, I'm really happy for the kid, and I'm, I'm glad they, they stuck with him at third base and playing in left field probably wasn't a good thing for him either just not being his natural position at all. And, like, he is – Ozzy at three and him at four has been really solid. And, you know, the, the rest of these people we're filling it in right – filling it in with right now and Heredia and even Dan Almonte, they're, they're doing okay, Graham. Not to yeah. not to mention Contreras. Like, we haven't missed a bead with uh, Darno being out as well. So, the offense is doing all right. And now we're – I mean, we knew we had talent – in that bullpen, and they, they really have been showing out the last at least three or four games, so let's let's just hope that continues. Yeah. Here's the real question, Adam. Yeah, offense definitely looks a lot better, but 
When can the Drew Smiley experiment be brought to a freaking end? Didn't we talk about this last week? I, th- I think he's got like two or three more starts. Eight base runners allowed last night and only 4.1 innings. Nine base runners allowed and 4.1 innings in his last start. Seven earned runs in the start before that against uh, Boston. I, I just, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't have much much faith in this guy. I know I've 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 done that a lot this year. I've been very curmudgeonly when it comes to a lot of a lot of Braves players, um, as we know. But you know, it's just like you just don't see anything from him like this is going to change. And I know we signed him to a big deal, and Anthopoulos doesn't want to be deemed a loser, so he's going to keep making Snicker run him out there. But Bryce Wilson, can we please get him back up here? Even if he just for a spot start or something. I mean, like he was he had built up some momentum, man. I, I just I hate that he hasn't pitched in a minute. Yeah, it's interesting that Tucker Davidson has kind of taken over for Bryce. I, I'd be a little a uh, little upset if I were Bryce that Bryce has been around <coughs> longer and Tucker gets two good starts and now he gets the third start going tonight against Philly. It's kind of interesting. I think what will be interesting for Davidson, five walks in his last um, outing against the Nationals, even though it was a good outing. But, you know, how how short of a leash is he on it? Yeah, I wonder why he's getting the nod over over Wilson. It, is, it doesn't make much sense to me. Although, I mean, the results have been very good so far. Don't get me wrong. Um, there seems like, you know, Wilson giving his uh, – how he's pitched this year, his effort in the postseason last year, would be getting the nod over a guy who doesn't have that experience. It is a sort of a, a strange thing. But – you know, they're giving the kid a chance, so we should give the kid a chance. Let's see. Let's see what happens. Yeah, the last the last thing I'll say on Smiley is we're, we're done with Smiley talk until a couple weeks, Graham. Okay, yeah, I know we've kind of run that into the ground. But did you see the athletic article this week about Anthopolis kind of talking about those Smiley and Morton signings? And they made. Oh no, I missed that one. I think I've been so wrapped up in the Hawks, like the Braves have been like a in my rearview mirror. I've just been Hawk, like obsessed with the Hawks. There was a time, I think yesterday, I was just refreshing the Athletic, just trying to be like, give me more Hawks stories, like before the game. Sure, sure, yeah. That, that's the thing with the Athletic. You, you you only get a couple stories a day, but they're really good. Right. Um, but yeah, Anthopoulos addressed it to where when they made those signings so early in the offseason, they were not expecting their payroll to go down. So I think, which is crazy, you don't know what your payroll is at the beginning of the offseason, but that's how Liberty Media rolls. So he made those signings expecting he'd have a lot more money to spread around for the rest of the team. And he just knew that we needed starting pitching depth, which is true. Like that that has played out once again, that we, we need all the depth we can get. But I do not think he would have spent that much money on Smiley or Morton had he know that his payroll was actually going down. Like he was expecting it to go up. Like it's gone up every year and then it goes down this Partic- year. So yeah, particularly smiley. Um, is it, I mean, as you said last week, Charlie Morton's the best pitcher of the last decade. Trash, trash, trash. Although he has been good the last four years, but yeah, Charlie Morton's got a pretty damn good track record, particularly in the playoffs. But smiley has always been kind of just a, a okay pitcher at best. So it, it is interesting that he would, command that much money um but that is also odd that in the offseason when the team has been you know everywhere the economy in general was ravaged by covid earnings are down for all businesses uh, or most businesses 
um, that they'd be like, okay, we have like, why isn't Liberty Media communicating that to Anthopolis? I just that's 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 like a huge fuck up, I think, on whoever whoever made whoever did not communicate that really really screwed the pooch there. Yeah. Um, and then I'm surprised Anthopolis was expecting more money, to be honest. Also, just because of how the world was impacted by COVID. Well, I think it was just expecting you know the same payroll for the most part. Oh, it's huge. It's a huge it's a huge thing because it's like they've been our nemesis for the last damn near decade. Beat us in the playoffs 2013, 2018, last year. And then they crushed us in the regular season. So they, they, they beat our asses to hell and back. I remember the last time we won a series against the Dodgers, regular or postseason. Um, so to take a series from them, even though it's in June, is huge, particularly against two of their best pitchers. Um, big win, and hopefully this this is the thing that gets the Braves going. I think, you know, they've taken their lumps all year. We've seen some really inconsistent performances all over the, you know, the ballpark. All over the ballpark, Jesus. You know, I think they've taken their lumps all year. We've seen some really inconsistent performances up and down the lineup and the rotation of the bullpen. But they're still here. They're still playing. They are in contention for this division because the Mets have such a bad offense. So... Uh, I'm I'm proud of them for for hanging in there and 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 chipping away and, and and not giving up and now's the time I think to get above 500 and go on a little run here. Big series against the Phillies, which you started out great last night with a nine to five win. You got two more against these losers, and then you go play the Marlins, who are kind of in a tailspin right now. Take advantage of this opportunity because, like we talked about, things are going to get a lot tougher. We have to go to Boston, or after Boston comes here. Got to play the Giants, you know, a bunch of other teams that are coming in that have really good records. So we need to take care of the division right now and then, you know, start to establish a pattern of winning more series and getting into the flow of things. I think also, you know, not just the inconsistencies that have been going on. This this has been just an awful year for injuries. Soroka, Darno, um, someone else I'm sure I'm, I'm forgetting. Um, I know Freed's been on the injured list a bunch of times. We had the whole Zuna controversy. Um and now he's off the team. So it's like this is this has been a terrible year so far for the Braves, but they they're they're hanging in there and let's see if they can build a little momentum. I mean, I think last week in series was was um a perfect jumping off point. You prove that you still got some life in you, for sure. They're there's I know you've been on a, a Hawks mode, but they've been fun to watch again the last week. Like I feel like I was kind of starting to quit on them, but you know, they're battling, especially like that game last night. They're they blow another lead. They were up four two, and the, Shane Green made his debut and had a rough go of it. They were, and then they ended up down five four, and then they end up winning nine to five. Like they've got that thump late again, which we haven't seen all year. So it's a lot of uh, positive signs that we're trending in the right way. Yeah, that was refreshing to see last night after the Hawks lost, uh, flipping through the Braves game and seeing them come back. Contreras also was huge. Big home run, big big uh, two out single or two RBI single um, to extend the lead. Um, yeah, we haven't seen that all year. It's like I think we were what a couple weeks ago we were like zero and seven or zero and eight, and like when we were tied or down in the eighth inning, mm-hmm. which was just the antithesis of what we have been. So refreshing to see and hope. I mean, we gotta hope that the worm's turning because this this is not sustainable to keep doing this thing. We get to five hundred and lose four in a row, and they get back to five hundred and lose four in a row. It's just 
I mean, if it's driving us crazy, it's going to be driving the team crazy. So I think they are hyper motivated, hyper focused to to get over five hundred and 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 see what kind of team that they have and how far they can go. And I still think Anthopolis is going to have to make a trade for somebody in the outfield because even though Almonte and Heredia are filling in fine, they aren't the answer. Um, long term, I think everybody knows that. So it's like, well, what do we do? Is there someone out there? that can come in and provide value in the outfield that can be an everyday starter. His, his track record is that he will, uh, he'll make a deal, but let, let's, let's see how it plays out. It's, a, it's yep. a long season, Graham. I don't know if you know that. Oh, what? It's not a 60 game season again. Nope. We would be nearing. If it was the season would be ending like tomorrow, yeah, we'd be nearing the end. <laughs> so it's, it's just so different. That's why you, you can't get, every single day highs and lows it's like you gotta no you, no you, you can't freak out over a couple bad losses <clears throat> like you gotta be able to come back and uh forget about yesterday and just move on so i think that's what players do fans don't do as great of a job of that yeah fans especially are, are huge offenders in that regard myself in particular i am a uh, complete loser when it comes to that but adam i think i think we're wrapped up for this week's show um I'm very excited for the Hawks on Friday and looking forward to hopefully watching the Braves kick the Phillies butt and then the Marlins butt and then uh, seeing what we got in OTAs. I'm, I'm, I want to hear some more stories coming out of there. Let's go, Graham. Big, big yeah. week. The light continues to shine on Atlanta professional sports. And it's nice, too, Adam. We actually got some respect from uh, First Take the other day. And some other shows. Finally showing some love for Trey Young, actually talking about the Hawks winning a game as opposed to, oh, poor poor 76ers, poor Philly, like they did with the Knicks. I appreciate how, and I feel like TNT minus Kenny is like, they just seem so much more in tune with what's actually going on. Like Shaq and Charles Barkley are all over us right now. Yeah. Ton of respect coming from them. Shaq still got us winning this series in like five games, I think. So. Oh, my God. Yeah. And they know basketball. They they certainly do. Hell of a lot better than we do. That's for damn sure. So, folks, we hope you're doing well out there. Thanks for listening to this week's show. We'll see you next week, hopefully with some good news about uh, the Hawks and the other teams, but particularly the Hawks as they go through their, their playoff run. Until then, rise up, chop on, unite and conquer, and remain true to Atlanta. How's the time to sip?